Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about the fantastic new series, TED, with co-showrunners and executive producers, Brad Walsh and Paul Corrigan. And I wanted to start by asking you both a little bit about the initial genesis of this series, because it sounds like the initial idea and conceptualization was to try and figure out logistically how to film it in front of a live studio audience yes. as a multicam. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic obviously just changed the ability to even figure out how to do that. So with the route that you've ended up taking with it being more of kind of an intimate single Cam. I was just interested in the way that everybody kind of worked to to reshape the initial idea that they had of this series. Yeah, that sort of it happened fairly organically. I don't know, don't know how connected to the um, pandemic it was, although I, no doubt played a played a part in it. We we were initially, you know, after we first met with Seth and we, we were talking about it as a multicam, we were all excited to sort of explore, you know, how that might work. It's a bit of a technical challenge and also just creative creatively what that might look and feel like because there is a there's a an unrealness to uh multicam which is great but it's also very much there and there's already an unrealness to ted so as we started as conversations progressed i think two things happened simultaneously one is the technical side there were some questions about like how can that work in front of a studio audience that doesn't just sort of you know really make it an unpleasant experience for the studio audience. And also just independent of that, creatively, the three of us found ourselves drawn towards a single camera comedy, which we were, I mean, we were excited about the challenge about of, of making a multicam. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we love multicams and would love to do something that crazy and new there, but we also are very experienced in and comfortable in single cam. So that was, we were fine with that shift. Yeah, it's true. The last last chunk of our career really was single cam. And when Seth finally, you know, just sort of like, it, it's got to be single cam, we're like, kind of a relief because yeah. we've been flexing that muscle for a long time now. And we knew we could do that fairly well. Whereas as much as we love multicam, it would be going back to something that we hadn't done in a little bit. And it would have taken some some practice to get back to that. And it was already, you know, out of our comfort zone in a lot of ways, like just the challenge of writing a show with a central character that is CGI. So there were enough challenges built in. I don't think we were expecting that relief we felt when Seth finally sort of pulled the trigger on this thing is single camera, but we realized that the, I, I'll speak for myself that at the moment I was like, oh, you know what? We've been sort of training to co-run a single camera comedy for the past 11 years. It's kind of good that we're gonna actually be working in that field. I love that. And I, I'm also really interested in just the journey for both of you and figuring out the the tone and the voice of the show, because it's very mm -hmm. unusual to be doing something where you have such a blueprint already in place, particularly with the central character of Ted himself. And yet also you want it to feel like its own identity. And there's a different structure just to episodic storytelling than to movie storytelling as well. Yeah, in some ways, that, that, that's both a challenge and a blessing, because one of the big challenges when you're putting together a show is having an exciting voice at the center of the show. And in this case, it was handed to us in the form of Ted, like we, we didn't have to do any of that work. So the yes, it is super challenging to capture that tone and also turn it into episodic television. Uh, but, but there was the silver lining of like, hey, the central character is already developed for us. Yeah, and also I think, you know, in terms of the, the tone being slightly different than the, than the movies, I think that happened naturally when you made the characters younger. And so you're exploring these these two people when they're at a more innocent age. And so the tone immediately becomes a little bit more innocent. I mean, it's not 
it still it resembles the movies, but it still I think has a little bit more of a naive tone. And also the the time in nineteen ninety three, it was before the internet was really pervasive, before cell phones were pervasive. It was I think a more innocent time, and you know you could grow up in a way that's a little slower than kids grow up now. It was also a great shift um, creatively because, and we didn't make it, but to make it a prequel, um, we didn't, we were, we're not responsible for that shift, but in making it a prequel, suddenly you're focused on, first of all, like a chunk of time that hasn't been explored for these characters. And also a chunk of time, your teen years that are full of like stories and stories that at least when they're happening to you feel heightened. So like it, it was a quick generator of episodic ideas you know like when we when we put together right the writer's room because it's teen years and it's a lot of like firsts you know like getting your license and going on a date and all these different things um those ideas went up on the board quickly in a way that was that's one moment where you're like oh i think we're on to something we might have a show here yeah, it's, it's very true to form in terms of it being a real coming of age piece, particularly for John, Max Burkholder's character. But then at the same time, you have Ted, who is actually experiencing a lot of these things at the same time, but also has seen the world in a different way. So yeah. how would you look at the way that the two of them would experience things where they'd be experiencing something for the first time, but Ted kind of is coming to it thinking that he's known some stuff or just having seen a bit more of the world than John has? Yeah, dialing that in was was a little bit of a challenge because we had to be, that's one of those moments where it's like, okay, we need to be true to this world and the things we've established, but it helps us if Ted is a little naive, maybe more naive than he might be having gone to like Hollywood and been famous and lived that life. Um, so we, we took some slight liberties there, um, but uh, that was, that seemed important for the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, we definitely fudged a few things, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was, it benefits the show and sort of the, when when we honed in on certain stories and we knew what stories we wanted to tell, we knew we had to be a little fast and loose with a couple of details, but we tried to keep it to a minimum so that it didn't, it never contradicted the movies completely. And obviously within the, the scope of the time period, there's so many great ways that you can use cultural references. You were talking before about even just technology being very different. So it's like the idea of, you know, they're watching an adult movie, but they have to go to the video store to rent a VHS tape. And then what happens when the VHS tape player breaks? Um, and so how did you really want to make sure that you were like leaning into that specific time period in a lot of ways? Because it's not just a setting. It really is a central core to the show. Yeah, well, it helped that we we were basically this age at that time. We were sort of the age of the Blair character, um, so a lot of these stories came naturally to us, and those those references seem more present maybe than they should. But that's also really liberating that time in terms of storytelling because the technology technology sort of solves solves the problems of people in stories a little too well now. So a lot of stories can just be fixed by someone making a call. But in 1993, the characters can't call each other if they're out in the world. And so they're just stuck out there in the middle of their crisis. And that's really helpful when you're telling stories. And it, as, you, as you mentioned, like um, you want to you see a pornographic movie. It's like a whole ordeal where you have to like create identification and go into a store and humiliate yourself and take it home. So that is great for story, for generating story. And you've obviously got the the ensemble dynamic of the family at large, but it really kind of at its root and the heart of it is this two-hander between Ted and John. Um, and so were there were there kind of like other movies from that time period that you looked to in terms of like how they developed those sorts of relationships? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. You know what? I, I'm sure there are movies that influenced us off the top of my head. I'm not sure I can name them, but I mean, Seth is a student of pop culture, especially at that time when he was in college as well. Um, so I'm I'm sure the influences are there and woven in in ways that I don't think we even know. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember. I think there were we we would reference. <laughs> At certain points, it's not as it's not as um, '90s as maybe you're asking. It's much more. It's much earlier. We would be like, "Hey, is this just Abbott and Costello?" Or you're like, "I think we're like, yeah. I think we're writing the Flintstones." You know, those moments um, where you, it, what it really speaks to is the sort of universality of these t- of telling stories about two friends navigating the world, having really bad advice for each other. And, you know, in terms of that naivety of the characters, it's also the adult characters, just because, again, you couldn't just go look something up online. A lot of conversations Mm -hmm. weren't being had. Um, And so how did you want to use that, especially for the parents? Like, I particularly love the way that you've utilized that for Susan in terms of the amount of things that she just doesn't know in the world yet. Yeah, that was that was that was helpful as well. I do think that like it all it kind of came naturally to us again because you know if we we can slip into the 90s pretty fast if we're just thinking about stories we maybe maybe it's the other way around we would have to like uh change it uh and, and modernize it otherwise so that that kind of that was pretty organic that part of yeah it certainly was and i have to say you know as every when you're out with people when you're at dinner family whatever everyone's a know-it-all now because as soon as you say something they're going to check it on the phone and it's nice to have a conversation or, you know, depict conversations between a family at a dinner table where they're not fact checking people on a on a moment to moment basis. Um, I, that, that I think helped, helped create make those scenes a little bit more dramatic and a little more real. And also at the center of the comedy, you basically have two characters who just don't have the ability to think through the consequences <laughs> yes. of their actions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which allows for a lot of escalation and everything as well. Like it starts with us standing up to the school bully and now all of a sudden we're pretending to be his dad and make him feel better about himself to do great on a math test. Um, So how did you find that, you know, that, that lack of consequential thinking really lent itself to the comedic style of the show? Yeah. As you asked that question, (laughs) I realized retroactively that Dumb and Dumber probably was a a good uh, movie uh, reference for us to have to have made um yeah that was that was that particular episode is was fun as well because that was one of those moments where you've assembled a writer's room of really smart talented funny people and the way that there were a couple of twists in that story that i didn't anticipate i certainly didn't come up with but i was excited to be in a room and a part of coming up with that because you know we've told a lot of stories and a lot of stories about you know teen kids uh, but that was, there is embedded in that story, a couple moves that we've never made before. And that's always fun to discover so that that was, that was kind of exciting. And I think the room recognized like, oh, like we like the way that went. Let's, let's try to do that again, whatever that was. There's also something freeing about having a, a main character that's a teddy bear because like he doesn't have to think things through and you kind of don't hate him for it because he's a teddy bear and he can get away with things that if a normal person did it, you probably wouldn't like them as much. And he doesn't have to think things through. And he's also completely outward with all his thoughts because he doesn't have that sort of filter. So what was the difference in when you would be in the writer's room in writing a character where all of their thoughts are external and it's not necessarily so much about the subtext underneath that they're not saying out loud? 
Yeah, that was different for us because so often in writers' rooms, there are sort of jokes and runs that you wish you could put into the show that you just can't because, you know, tonally they would, it would just be a disaster. That's not the case with, you know, often with Ted, there are places you can go that you can't go in other shows. So that was an experience of, of a lot of the room bits or room jokes that would normally just get left in the room, make their way to the screen with Ted. And that's a, that's a fun experience. Yeah, and, and one of the, it's one of the great advantages of being on Peacock is that we could sort of take it to a level that broadcast TV couldn't go. And um, that was, you know, it was liberating. And, and with the fact that because you have, you know, this animated character that's that's fictional, that's not real, again, you can like you said, you can take the show into different places, but you also have to set parameters of believability for the audience. Right. So you have Ted going back to school, and of course he's going to do something on his first day that would get him kicked out of any regular school. Um, so you have to have a principal that's like, I'm going to tough love you and you're yeah. my mission mm-hmm. now. Um, and so how would you make sure that you always kind of found that, that line of believability for the audience? Yes, Seth is really good about that and he really prioritizes it in a way that was I think we learned a lot from and sort of learned over the process how important it was so he he's very um mindful of the fact that you know Ted is a magical bear at the center of this show and if everything is that heightened that just there's not there's going to be no juxtaposition and the show is just on the moon so he's really good about making sure as much as possible uh you know we, we break our own rules occasionally but that the world around Ted is as real as possible uh, so that the magic and weirdness of Ted can sort of exist and feel like it exists in our world. Yeah, and Seth really is meticulous about that. And I think it stems from he knows he's going to be on stage saying these lines and, and acting, and he wants to make sure he gets it right from the beginning. So we it was a pretty rigorous process of making sure everything was grounded and that when Ted does actually talk, it it makes sense in the world that we've created. Yeah, Seth's incredibly hands-on. I mean, at the beginning of the process, we were, you know, not sure what that would be like. And I said to him, like, hey, just so you know, like, we want as much Seth as we can get. I don't know how much that is. Uh, and it turned out to be a lot. He was in the writer's room the entire time. And of course, he's, you know, he's on set the entire time. He's directing and he's also performing and doing motion capture. And then and then shepherding um, the post-production process, which is lengthy and a lot of work um, and meticulous as well. And I also think with what what you were saying about the way that you can kind of go into these spaces with Ted, but it comes back to a very real family. Um, you know, it's like when you when you step back, it's like this is a family that also get very raunchy with the things they say to each other, but they're mm-hmm. so full of love at the core of who they are. Um, and so how did you kind of like find those swings between the raunchiness and the vulnerability throughout the series? Yeah, well, you know, a, a real uh, some source material for all of us is All in the Family, which is a really important show to Seth and to us as well. And that definitely inspired the formation of the show and how it's sort of constructed. Um, yeah, I think it's important. How, how do you sort of police, you know, keep one of the thing, I, one thing that I mean, helped me immensely was the cast. I mean, I bring in Georgia Wiggum as Blair. She's playing this character that could often become a little scoldy if because she's sort of disagreeing with things often. But she brought so much nuance to it and was able to do it in such a, a likable way that you sort of you believed that, that they were a family and they were friends and that they cared for each other. Yeah, the same is true of, of I mean, really, really the entire cast. Uh, Alana Yubak comes to mind. Um, there's a scene in a restaurant where Scott, Scott Grimes' character Maddie is really just 
making a real nuisance of himself at a restaurant at the restaurant. And I remember just, you know, his he's being hilarious. It's very big and funny as it should be. And I remember as we were shooting it, watching Alana act opposite him and make she's making all the right choices to sort of allow us to sort of see this relationship and you know basically not worry about her because she's all she's in control in a way that you know a lot of actors couldn't bring that to the role but she did and when it comes to the writing process i also wanted to talk about it in terms of the technology and the way that the show is filmed because obviously the technology has moved forward exponentially since the films to the point where um there was technology where everybody would be able to kind of like almost look at the video monitor and see ted in a scene Mm -hmm. um but at the same time you still have moments where it's seth acting you have moments where there's kind of like a physical bear on that people are puppeteering and moving around and then you've got animation being added later on um but knowing that you had kind of like this full scope and the fact assets of the technology that you did how did that broaden the way that you were able to write this character and the the types of scenarios that you were able to put him into yeah you're reminding me now that during the during the writing process you know there's there's a really smart team of people who are getting the technology ready and they actually get it ready to the point where when we finally make the show it feels seamless even though it's actually quite technically challenging but during the process of writing they would be watching the outlines come in and the scripts come in and they they know what what is challenging in a way that we we didn't necessarily um and they would get very excited if they saw something that was going to be either expensive or technically challenging so like you would it doesn't see maybe you counterintuitive or whatever but like ted getting wet sends off alarm bells throughout the building you know like people are just teams yeah. of people are like oh god ted has to get wet this is going to be a, a series of late nights so there are there were things that you had to be sort of um you know you you couldn't overuse that gag for example because it's just it's just labor intensive so that's something that factored into the writing in in a way that we doesn't usually yeah and but i have to say it factored in it didn't factor in that much because this special effects team was so good and so anxious to sort of tackle all these challenges. And so we I, I, we really weren't hamstrung by that much. It was impressive. That's true, that's true. Um, you know, and then the, the, the process of filming uh, with this CGI bear was also really fun. And you, you sort of uh, referenced the different ways that we did that, but it was everything from uh, a completely CGI bear where you're shooting an empty frame and you know uh, seth is standing off screen delivering the lines and you're just you know you're just looking at you're just looking at a an empty chair uh to like again when you mentioned the puppeteering when ted has to interact physically with with another character like uh hand something or grab something that really is uh this woman Allie, who's wearing a little ted puppet arm um hiding underneath the chair and like reaching up and you know grabbing a cheerio or whatever which was always silly and fun to watch when uh georgia wiggum is fighting with ted in one of the scenes you know she pins him up against the wall and what we're looking at is her holding the torso of a stuffed animal and pinning it up against the wall and everything else is animated later so those points where like low tech and high tech uh meet are i think they're very complicated but they're also kind of kind of fun I love that. Well, kind of going back to what you were describing at the beginning, you've done such a great job at really paying homage to the movies that people love, but also kind of like finding this very unique voice for the series. So congratulations and thank you so much for talking about all of this. Oh, thanks. It was our pleasure.